Well, good morning. Uh, please do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. That would be great. Page 1144. Shall we pray um, as we look at this together? Lord God, we do uh, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Lord, we do thank you that it is a double-edged sword that, that cuts to the bone. Uh, please would you open this up for us this morning, speak to us through it by your spirit, uh, that we may be uh, changed people for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 10, what does it say? I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Our next weekend is the final round of the election for the new uh, French president. And Charles de Gaulle, the founder of the current uh, French Republic, once said this, said this, Only peril can bring the French together. One can't impose unity out of the blue on a country that has 265 different kinds of cheese. <laughs> I think sometimes it can feel like that, can't it, with, with the church. One truth, surely, about Christians down the age is that we can't agree and unite uh, on truth. Sometimes it seems that only great persecution brings unity and growth. And we wonder why so often we seem unable to move forwards at a pace any greater than that of a tortoise. Well, the unity of the church is a passionate concern uh, of the Lord Jesus. It's of great concern uh, to the Apostle Paul too. And unity was lacking in the church in Corinth. We saw, didn't we, with Jonathan's uh, preaching last week, Paul beginning his letter to the Corinthian church, giving thanks with thanksgiving. There's so much to be thankful for, not least that they're a really gifted bunch uh, in the Corinthian church. Yet this is a church full of immorality and full of immaturity. Paul even says at one point in the letter, your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine that? Paul rocks in, Holy Trinity, don't bother getting together on a Sunday. It's doing you harm. Stay at home. What a terrible place to be. This is a church full of problems. And the first issue that Paul picks up and addresses is the issue of division. We're going to draw two points uh, from this passage this morning. The first is this, the cause of division and then the source of unity. Cause of division, source of unity. And we will see that the problems of the first century church are problems of the 21st century church. It is like looking in a mirror when we look at this passage. The attitudes of the first century are the attitudes of the 21st century. The human heart doesn't change. So we can learn so much as we listen to Paul, as we take on his correction. So first, the cause of division. What is the cause of division in the church in Corinth? It is the exaltation of human leaders, the putting of human leaders on pedestals. Look at, look at verse 11. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. The exaltation of human leaders was the cause of division. 
What had happened, it seems, was that the church that Paul loved, that he'd established, had split into factions. Uh, The Corinthians prided themselves on being super spiritual, yet in so many ways uh, they were worldly. Uh, Around this time in history, there were were traveling philosophers who came around, sharing their thoughts, sharing their ideas on life, and everyone tended to have a favorite uh, traveling philosopher. And it just seems that some of that thinking had crept into the church in Corinth. This is the leader that I follow. This is my favorite. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. No, no, I follow Cephas. Paul says that is a worldly, not a spiritual way of thinking. Who's at fault here? There's nothing to suggest in this passage. It's the fault of the leaders. Paul stresses later in his letter that he got on well with Apollos. There's no sense of division on theological points or on doctrine. It just seems there have been a split into groups and there was a focus on personality. Personality divides. The problem seems to be the mindset of the people. Instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're focusing on human leaders. The Christian leaders of the day are put on a pedestal. Each one is a hero uh, for someone. You can, you can picture the scene, can't you? Picture the scene. Some, perhaps the early converts in the church, those who'd been there from day one with Paul. Yeah, Paul's that man. He's the founder of the church. You know, the golden days, if the new people could see when Paul was in charge, the preaching, the buzz. You know, those were the days to be part of this church. What a place to be. If only the new members could know what it had been like. Apollos, the, the, the new man who's turned up, well, you know, he's not the same as Paul, just not the same, never really taken to him. As for his wife, well, she's difficult. The, uh, others, others, perhaps, perhaps those converted after Paul had left, they probably favoured Apollos, didn't they? Yeah, the new man. Why do we keep harking back to Paul? This is Apollos. He's a new guy on the block. He's great, connects with this age, the man for these times. Look how he connects. The leader, the youth guru, whatever he is, new takes on things, new ideas. He is the man for now. People so often, aren't they, are bound together by a common love and a common hatred. So take Norwich City supporters. You're bound together by a common love of Norwich City and a shared hatred of Ipswich. Bound together positively and negatively. I think that happens, doesn't it, in Christian groups as well. Slightly that these groups in Corinth were bound together by a love of Paul, say, and a hatred, or at least a scepticism of Apollos. Or a love of Peter and a hatred or scepticism of Apollos, and so on. So, so when they met together, different people would have pushed you know, different ideas, quarreled amongst themselves, looked for faults, had that knife sharpened, you know, ready to plunge in uh, at that moment, looking for theological differences. These are probably people who were expert at shredding each other's sermons. You can imagine, can't you? Not him again. This is the same sermon we had last week. The same topic. Always seems the same. The illustrations are rubbish. There's no jokes. Nothing fresh or novel. But, you know, my preacher, well, he's clearer, he's funny, always got lots of illustrations, great storyteller, agrees with me on every issue. 
It's only worth coming to a church when he is slated to be on. No, actually, it's only worth being a member of a church if he's the leader of the church. Without him, well, this is not the church for me. Do we find ourselves looking in the mirror? This attitude horrifies Paul. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Notice he calls them brothers. If we belong to Jesus Christ, we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a challenge, surely, for us. How often do we get used to division? Do we, do we accept division? It's just what happens in church. Get used to it. No! We can never be satisfied with anything less than the best as Christians. Unity in mind and thought. Not superficial unity. You know, not unity that ignores differences, makes us all clones, but real profound unity based on common agreement in mind and in truth. We will always have differences, won't we? Different likes and different dislikes. Different ideas about liturgy, about music, about service patterns, how we spend our resources, what buildings we buy, how we go about outreach, what sort of church leaders we want. Perhaps theological differences on secondary issues. We've been there. We've done it. We're doing it. That's fine. But despite these great differences, we are meant to unite, aren't we, around the great truths of the gospel. To focus on Jesus Christ. We saw that last week. He's mentioned 11 times in the first nine verses. And that focus continues here in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They name human names. Paul names Jesus Christ. He wants to bring them back. You know, there's words at the end of verse 12 could be the kind of indignant words of Paul. I follow Christ. You say you belong to that person. I follow Jesus Christ. Cause of division in Corinth is the exaltation of human leaders. What is the source of unity? Source of unity is the exaltation of Christ. It is putting Christ at the center. I just want to pick out briefly three truths in verses 13 to 17 which counter divisions and raise up Christ. Truth one. The body of Christ is one. Do you see that? Verse 13, Paul asks, is Christ divided? Obvious implied answer, no. Of course he's not. Of course he can't be divided. So Paul is saying if Christ can't be divided, then how can you be divided? If we turn to Christ, we are united with him. And in turn, like it or not, we are united with each other. Everyone else who is united to him. As Christians of the church, we are the body of Christ. Christ is one. So so we are one. So, So often we focus on what 
divides us, don't we? We turn in on ourselves in debate and dispute. We love labels and boxes. We put people in labels and boxes. He comes from that church. So we know what he will be like. She doesn't agree with me on that secondary point, so I can't work with her in ministry in any area. He's got a dodgy reputation. I'm not going to give him a chance. That is a terrible thing to do. Is Christ divided? Of course not. So nor are we. God doesn't look at us and put us in different boxes. God looks at us and has us in a Christ box. A big Christ box. So that surely should affect how we relate to each other, how we talk to each other, how we talk about uh, each other. We should be ashamed at times at the way that we talk about each other. Sometimes as Christians, it seems that somehow we treat each other almost as enemies rather than as friends and brothers and sisters. But we're one in Christ. United in him. If we're united in the fundamentals, in a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord, dependence on the cross as a one way of getting right with God, then we're members of the same family. We've got the same father, the same family home that we'll live in together. Are we committed to that evangelical unity? Do we need to repent this morning. The body of Christ is one. Truth two. Ministers of Christ are insignificant. At least they're insignificant compared to Christ. Look at verse 13. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying by exalting human leaders, you're putting them in the place of Christ. You're acting as if everything depends on them, as if they died for you, as if they are the Lord into whom you are baptized. Paul says, verse 14, I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. And then almost as if, as a kind of afterthought, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Paul is not saying baptism is unimportant. He's just saying, look, the identity of the baptizer is unimportant. It's the identity of the one into whom you're baptized which is important. He's relieved he didn't baptize many, so they can't boast that they're his men. Human ministries are insignificant compared to Christ. Paul would probably be horrified There's a cathedral in London with a dome named after him. That would be bad in his book, surely. Application. We are to avoid, surely, the cult of personality. We're not to put leaders on pedestals. The more we exalt leaders, the, the more likely it is we'll put them where only Christ should be. And then our lives, our spiritual lives, they'll revolve around the leader rather than around Christ. And in the end, we're just going to be disappointed, aren't we? We'll only be disappointed because human leaders will always fail. At some level, they will always let us down. 
Richard James joins us, doesn't he, as rector on the 3rd of September. What is our mindset for Richard James? Whatever problems we think we have as a church, and every church has its problems, Richard is not, cannot be, the Messiah who is going to come in and sort it all out. Or lead us to some sunny uplit plain. He's a sinful man. He's got faults like all of us. But this has not been Alan Strange's church. It's not been Will Warren's church. It won't be Richard James's church. It is Christ's church. Let's set our expectations right. Christ must be our focus. If Christ is our focus, then God in his grace may use our partnership, and it will need to be a partnership with Richard as our new rector. He may use it in his grace, our partnership with each other, to grow his kingdom. The body of Christ is one. Ministers are insignificant. What is the final point as we finish that Paul makes in exalting Christ? The cross of Christ is primary, Paul says. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul's great concern is that nothing should be allowed to empty the cross of its power. That is fundamental. He says... In chapter 2, verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is Christianity about? It is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Simple, but deep, but simple. Something surely we should never tire of hearing about. We're cut off from God because we disobeyed him. We deserve nothing from him, but the Lord Jesus Christ stepped into the world to rescue us. He died for us on a cross to take our punishment. If we trust in his death, we can be put right with God again. We're friends with God, not enemies. That is the message for Corinth. That must be the message for us, mustn't it? The cross is God's power to break through strongholds. The cross is God's power to turn lives upside down. The cross is God's power to open people's eyes to where they are in relationship with God and how they can be put right with him. The divisiveness in the Corinthian church that they were experiencing was a symptom of a more serious problem. They were in danger of drifting away from the gospel, in danger of hankering after human wisdom, going after human ideas. Yet that is to miss out, says Paul, on divine wisdom. To focus on human power is to miss out on God's power. And it's to leave the cross behind. You leave it behind. Yes, the cross that makes no sense in human terms, but is where wisdom is found. That is why Paul writes with such urgency. We must keep Christ and his cross central. That is where the power for change and for renewal lies. For us as individuals, for us as a church, at this time, it's the cross of Christ. It is not in the arrival 
of a new leader. Friends, will we be wise? Brothers and sisters, will we be wise about this? Wisdom is a major theme of 1 Corinthians. Are we prepared, as Richard joins us, to be wise? Some in Corinth expected their leaders uh, to be great philosophers, have great words of wisdom, impressive oratory, great gifts, intellectual, engaging, funny, warm, sweet, outwardly impressive, whatever it may be they wanted or thought was important in a leader. Putting on a good show. And they aligned themselves accordingly. But that is what led to divisions. That is what led to disunity. With any preacher or leader, we need to stop, don't we, and ask the key question, is he faithful? Is he faithful? Does he preach Christ and him crucified? That is where God's power lies. Christian ministry is all about proclaiming Christ crucified, not about anything else at heart. What do we need to do? We need to focus on Christ. To focus on that message, we need to focus on partnering with each other, with our leaders, to unite with those who do so. It is the past ministry of Christ which matters, not the present ministry of a church leader. Let's remember that in the weeks and months ahead. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for these uh, words uh, from Paul to the Corinthians. And Lord, it is in so many ways like looking uh, in the mirror. But Lord, we praise you that we are uh, in Christ, that we are united in Christ. We're united uh, with one another. We're brought together from so many different places, with so many different ideas and backgrounds. And you bring us together in Jesus Christ. Lord God, please, will you give us a, a greater vision for being united in Christ. Would you help us to focus uh, on Christ and him crucified? Would you help us to respond appropriately uh, to our leaders? And Lord God, please, would you just be at the heart of change in our church, change in our hearts, to bring us closer to you and that gospel fruit uh, would flow from that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.